Welcome, fam. You're tuned in to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey, the Josh Terry Podcast, brought to you by Raisin Grace Studios. Today, I have with me two very special folks, Kurt and Renee McDonald with Mission 22. How are y'all doing today? Good, thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm excited. This is going to be a good one. Kurt, don't go getting shy on us now. You got to say, hey, you, you probably talk more than all of us. No way. I doubt that. Uh, for everybody out there that does not know what Mission 22 is, uh, we lose 22 veterans a day on average uh, to mental health issues. And uh, I could not be happier to have y'all in here to talk about your trials, your battles, and uh, the men and women that you've helped along the way and all that Mission 22 does. So uh, every once in a while it's best for me to be quiet and let one of y'all have the floor. And uh, so, Renee, tell us, uh, you know, your role in everything with Mission 22. So I am the Region 11 leader with Mission 22. Um, Mission 22 has over 2,500 volunteers nationwide. All of us are volunteers. We don't get paid for this. We don't get paid to go out to events. We don't get paid uh, travel or, or anything. We do this because it, we're passionate about it. it. Obviously, it has affected us in one way or another. So we go out to events. We meet people. We talk. We tell others about what Mission 22 does and the programs and the services that we offer to our veterans. Um, you know, it's something that we're passionate about. I can't say that enough. I, I get really excited when I'm standing there talking to a veteran and you can see in their face kind of the pain that they're they're going through. And I talk to them and, and get them set up on the website just so they can go on the website and um, enroll in some of our programs. And you, you see that glimmer of hope in their eyes. And when you say programs, kind of give my idea some of the programs that y'all do. So we offer everything from a one-year intensive therapy program that we bring medical professionals to that veteran uh, via Skype or FaceTime, some type of online program. We go everything down down to horse therapy. Um, We assist veterans with getting service dogs. We do environmental treatments such as fishing trips and hunting trips. Whatever helps that veteran react best, you know, the days of laying on a couch and telling someone about your challenges, they're not been proven successful uh, with some of our nation's veterans. And you're talking about therapy. You're talking about just going to a therapist that just wants the paycheck, right? That's how I view them anyway. Yeah, it's going and just sitting down somewhere and going through kind of the, the demons in your head. It doesn't really work. You need to get them out. You need to work out. You know, we offer gym memberships, too. Um, it's been proven that exercise helps with mental stability. So anything that that veteran reacts to best, you know, we offer it, or if we don't offer it, we're willing to try and reach out to someone in their community to offer it for them. Y'all, I'm telling I ran into them for the first time last August. And ever since then, uh, I already kind of knew what Mission 22 was. But to see y'all firsthand... Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it's so awesome to see what y'all do, how selfless y'all are. Selfless y'all are. Uh, it's just one thing after another. And the way that y'all help people, you know, this that's one of the reasons I had to have y'all on here to where hopefully we can you know reach a couple more folks. That I deal with mental health issues. My depression and suicide attempt back in 2010. I was not a veteran. I never served. Wish would have. Uh, but I was chicken shit. So I was scared, didn't know. Now when I see and I'm around folks like y'all and the other vets that I've got to meet through y'all, 
I just I have the utmost respect. And uh, Kurt was one of the first ones I met. And uh, you got to kind of tell a little bit about you too now, big fella. You can't just let the wife do all the talking. I'm sure you're used to that, but you can't let it today. Uh, just a little bit. Um, so I served in the Marine Corps from 1999 to 2004. Um, I enlisted as a helicopter crew chief and flew on the CH-46 Echo helicopter in the Marine Corps, which has since been retired. Um, flew over a thousand hours while I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, got out of the Marine Corps as a sergeant in 2004 after a tour in Iraq in 2003-2004. Uh, um, and then came back and went back into the construction industry. And through that time, you know, me and Renee would always see veterans that were struggling and, and things were going on. Um, She's always had a big heart. You know, we'd, we'd see people on the side of the road. We'd make sure we had to stop and help them and see what was going on. Um, families that needed help just about anywhere. Um, but we found that the, the need was in the military community, that the veterans were struggling with the PTSD and traumatic brain injuries. Um, and it was becoming more and more apparent. Um, me and Renee will tell you when we're out at events, it, it touches everybody. It touches the veterans. It touches their family, their friends people that they've been in contact with. Um, and we've lost people that we've served with throughout the years that we never would have thought we'd lost. So over the years, we've just continued on that mission and following up and joining Mission 22 about a little over a year and a half, two years ago, um, actually allowed us to get out there and meet more and more people. Um, so through that, we're able to allow, let them know that the programs are there, they're available. Uh, Mission 22 is 100% separate of the VA. Nothing gets reported to the VA. It's all confidential. So I personally don't even know the veterans that go through the programs, what programs they went to, any of their background, any of that. that that's all corporate HIPAA laws, you know, prohibit us from knowing any of that. The yeah. only way that I know if a veteran's gone through a program is that veteran has actually told me or talked to me about the program. Um, so that helps a lot of the veterans because they're worried about their guns being taken away. They're worried about anything that is gonna prohibit them further on down in life from becoming successful due to having a stain on their record or something that stops them from performing a duty because they sought help in something that they needed help with. Okay, I didn't know that could happen. So if I went to, if I was in the service or just got out and I went to a therapist and they uh, diagnosed me under whatever, they can take away their firearms, take away other positions, like as far as employment or whatever. Is, every, is that what that meant? Every state's different. Um, and, you know, it seems like the world is becoming more and more that way. Like it's going towards that way. Um, and veterans are concerned about that. They're truly concerned about their privacy and they want to make sure that whatever they do isn't going to hinder them later on. You know, you know, just like anybody else, that the government and everything is changing day in and day out. Ugh. I mean, that's a whole other show for you. Well, and we probably end up going somewhere with this, but yeah. No, you're right. Now, um, we got a call just a couple weeks ago from an active service member, and he, he needed help. He knew that he needed help, and he reached out to say, I can't go to my CO because then I potentially risk being promoted. Uh, you know, it, it's supposed to be talked in the military, and they have made strides to bring it up in the military, but there's still active duty members that are worried that if they bring it up and they talk to someone, they could risk that next promotion. 
but there's still a stigma in the actual services that they want to stay away from. You know, um, commands, every command is different. So one command may look at you seeking help as a positive, whereas another one may see as a negative. And just like they rotate duty stations, commanders rotate out every two to three years too. But wouldn't it make sense to be more willing to help these individuals because if they're worried about a stain, what if they go out and do something crazy afterwards after they sought help and wasn't given it or was scared to get help? I don't understand why there would be, I get this kind of the stigma behind it, but it seems like they would, the whole military, every branch would push every officer or whoever would push to help more. Uh, just from my experience, you know, being in the Marine Corps, we always tried to help our guys out, our, our younger and junior Marines that were underneath of us all the time. Um, but when they do make that mistake and they've been seeking help, they, they kind of get labeled, you know, it's just like if the guy goes to medical for an ingrown toenail once a week, well, they call him a medical commando. You know, that's where he wants to go. He just wants to get away from work or do this or do that. You know, and it's very difficult to see guys that are struggling with mental health issues. Um, you know, if you have mental health issues and you take certain medications, you're not even eligible to try and enlist in the military. I didn't know that. Yeah, our daughter, one of our, our 18-year-olds, she wanted to go into the Coast Guard. Well, she has had mental health issues for six, seven years now. And even though it's under control and she seeks assistance from medical professionals and, and you know they have her on a regular regimen and she's able to you know control function normally and, and everything function normally and work normally and, and keep up good grades but she's been permanently disqualified for it i i just don't i don't i mean i get it but it also seems like with one of the things that you were saying a while ago is a gym member or doing gym memberships doing these other activities you would think that someone who dealt with some of these issues by going into the military and having structure and having all this around you, you think that they would kind of be geared towards it, like for it to help them. You would think so. Um, the, the medical field and the, the whole entirety of mental health in the military is changing. You know, it's going positive. It's going negative. It, it does. It's like everything else. You know, it's got that wave. Um, and unless policies are put in place to help everybody, you know, it, it's going to continue on a downhill slide. But losing the military members that we have coming back, it's a lot more prevalent that we know of now versus the guys coming back from Vietnam. Those guys came back. They were spit on. They were kicked. They were hated. You know, people said they, we weren't supposed to be in that war. You know, we could look at it a million different ways. The, the truth of the matter is those guys stood up, whether they were drafted or whether they volunteered to go, and they went and fought for our country. Absolutely. So there's no stopping our support for them. Politicians made decisions to send us over there. That's where we ended up. You know, those guys, a lot of them didn't have a choice because they were drafted. One of the things that I just have a problem, and I love our military. I hate how military is treated after service. And I have heard from a lot of people, uh, like the VA is a joke. I don't know firsthand about a lot of it, but not getting the care that they need and then going to the VA and them just want to shove pills down your throat in, instead of helping you. There is differing stories. You know, I, I got out of the military in 2004. In 2006, I went back and had ACL surgery because while I was in, apparently my ACL wasn't even there. Oh, my gosh. So, But I've not had a problem with it since. 
So I went to the VA in Gainesville, Florida, at, which is in conjunction with uh, Shands and the University of Florida down there. And apparently at the time, the doctor that did my surgery was the leading orthopedic surgeon in the nation. Well, I'm that one in a million because I stayed <laughs> in surgery longer due to a tool break and while they had my knee spread open. So I ended up in there for longer, but had the best surgeon doing the surgery. It happens. You know, there's nothing I can say about it. They got all the pieces out and I haven't had trouble with my knee. You know, the worst I have is a little bit of arthritis and the change of the weather. That's, that's probably what age. I mean, you're aging well, but, <laughs> but I don't think any of us are going to escape that. Uh, have y'all had a lot of people, just, just curious, that have tried the VA first and then tried some of your programs uh, that are associated with Mission 22 and they felt like they got better results or dealt with a different atmosphere or a better group of folks than what they dealt with there? Have you, have you heard the other side of the story, what you just Again, called? We don't get all of the, the backstory from everybody. You know, we, we don't always talk to the veterans. Again, once they get into the programs, unless they want, they become active um, ambassadors with yeah. Mission 22, we, we don't really see them a whole lot. Um, we do have a veteran, um, a friend of ours, his name is Jerome, uh, that we met him actually at the first event for Mission 22 that we ever went to. And he was uh, speaking with Jerry Strickland, who's the Florida, one of the Florida state leaders. And Jerry got him to go to that event. It was called Pulling for 22, which they had at the barn in Sanford, Florida. And they had some Barbie Jeeps that they had, <laughs> they had tug of wars with. Um, it was a good day. Everybody had fun, you know, had a bunch of raffles, bunch of Jeep stuff going on, car show, you know, things like that. And we met Jerome that day and he was struggling very hard with not so much mental health issues, but physical health issues. Yeah. Um, he was blown up in Humvee, I believe in 2011 and was having trouble with circulation in his legs. So just last year he decided to have his leg amputated, uh, based on what was going on and poor circulation, things like that. And his quality of life in speaking with him has jumped tremendously. Really? He, he is not in the pain all the time. He's not taking pills. Um, he's got real big into hunting. Um, he's actually come up here to Statesboro and hunted with the KT team last year and this year. Um, they, they're actually another organization that takes veterans hunting that are disabled. Oh, that's cool. Um, they do amazing. And what's that I mean, called? It's KT team. KT team. It's phenomenal. I mean, what they do for these. You're, you're, y'all going to definitely have to get us in touch with them. Because if y'all are saying it's a good organization, then we definitely want to talk to them. Absolutely. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, he's had, he had setbacks with, with physical abilities and things like that based on that. And ever since he has had the surgery, his quality of life has gone up tremendously. And, and that's nice that we can actually physically see that. You know, he come, he's come, he'll come and stay at our house. They got their camper parked in our front yard right now. <laughs> uh, but it gets them away from their everyday life and things that they do. Um, I know he's medically retired from the military, but you know, it still gives him a, a purpose in life. You know, like your flag that's on the wall, he's making flags and stuff now. He's that's got cool. A, You're going to have to get me one. He's got a CNC router and yeah. whatnot. Um, We're definitely going to have to have one of so those in here. It's just seeing him start to bring things together and actually create his life over again, in a sense, now that he's able to do things more uh, easily per se. Now, a while ago when you said you uh, like the pulling for 22 event, those raffles and stuff, that's how y'all generate 
the money for Mission 22, right, is by those kinds of events. Correct. Um, we do it several. There's different ways we do it. Um, memorials that we have for veterans throughout the year, we raise funding at those. Um, the events that we go to, uh, last year we were lucky enough to go to like 20 concerts that, that you saw us at. Um, one of the promoters actually brought us out for those and free of charge to us. Yeah. Just wanted us on the property to be able to talk to people. I know everything we do. We love having y'all there. Um, and then uh, through uh, private donors, too. Um, last year, the Till Valhalla Project donated over $300,000 to Mission 22 alone. Um, and they're an organization that makes T-shirts and stuff, kind of like uh, similar to Nine Line. They, mm -hmm. they have their own T-shirt line and uh, goods. They've got uh, Till Valhalla bracelets. Uh, I've seen their stuff. It's to, really cool. They're trying to get out there, too. Um, they're out of Jacksonville, Florida. Um I actually went a few weeks ago and actually introduced myself to them because I had never met them. So I went to their shop and met them and talked to them and whatnot. Um, but there's organizations across the country, and putting the funding into the programs for the veterans is really our biggest goal as, as volunteers. You know, we aren't counselors, so we can't physically counsel the veterans and, and help them in that way. Um, but if they want to come hang out with us in events, they want to go to Jeep events with us, anything like that. Um, there's another organization that we're part, Mission 22 is partners with called Four Wheel to Heal. They set up with veterans and they'll take veterans out and go wheeling for the weekend out in their Jeeps. You know, just to, it, it gets them out of the house. It gets their mind on something else that they can enjoy. Um, as a matter of fact, I think Four Wheel to Heal's got a, a group of veterans out in Moab, Utah this weekend. Um, so there, there's a myriad of outlets that Mission 22 has touched with and became partners with, which allows us to put all these programs to play for veterans. Um, if, if a veteran's in, in Macon, Georgia, and they want to get involved in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gyms, and Mission 22 isn't doesn't actually have a gym in Macon, Georgia, but the veteran knows there's one right down the road from his house, corporate will actually get in contact with that gym and set them up with a scholarship as close to them as possible. That's awesome. So besides for going to those events, I imagine there's probably other ways that you can donate, maybe online or any of those things. And also, too, just so I, I know from on a little bit here, uh, if I was to donate, let's say $10 to you, it doesn't go to this area. It'll go to the overall Mission 22. So it's not an individual you're donating to. Uh, or a group like y'all. What are y'all considered? Ambassadors for, for Georgia? Ambassadors, and Renee's considered the, the Regional 11 leader. Okay. So it doesn't go for you to distribute. It goes to the actual Mission 22 to help. It, you don't have to be in the area to get help, is what I'm saying. Correct. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and we, her as a leader, about once a year, um, they actually go through and send us a listing of how many veterans were helped in your state, in your area, you know, because it's not only us decide. It's not us deciding who gets help. It's the veterans actually going on to Mission Twenty Two and filling out the paperwork. Um, it's not a whole big long questionnaire, um, but they ask you what you're interested in, and then corporate contacts the veteran directly and tries to put them in contact with the program that they're interested in. Sometimes um, Mission Twenty Two will actually evaluate it and say, you know, that that's good and. We like that, but we also want you to try this program. You know, so they, they try and tailor it specific to each veteran. Um, they're actually involved with a group called Amari Global. 
and Amari Global provides all-natural wellness supplements. So instead of taking medical narcotic pills, you know, they're taking an all-natural supplement that'll help them with their brain function, their gut functions, making sure that their body is actually performing to 100%. Um, you know, we're not in the military anymore. We're not lean. We're not mean. <laughs> I, got a, I got a little bit of a belly anymore, but... A little? <laughs> uh, even on a podcast, your wife knows how to take shots at you. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no forgiving there. Um, no, I, I just think that's awesome. And you just brought up something that I absolutely love is uh, getting off of those supplements, like the the pharmaceuticals. I love all natural supplements and everything. Um, do you know any more like about that, like that company that you were just talking? What they what they kind of do? Uh, Amari Global. If the veterans in um, what used to be called our WIN program is now recovery and resiliency, they would actually send the veterans to a local lab and get their blood drawn and send it to Amari's lab. And Amari's lab would basically talk to Mission 22 and determine which supplements they needed to be on to detox and make sure that their body was functioning properly. Um, because, you know, alcohol, any of them that are on any kind of drugs or anything like that, you know, they try and steer them away from that to get back on the all natural stuff. That I love that. Isn't going I absolutely to love affect that. Their, their body functions. And that's a what now? Amari? Amari Global. We're going to have to look them up. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, now, um, I know that you've shared with me before, but how did you two end up as a part of Mission 22? How, how did you come about of being in this organization, finding it and everything? So I was actually on a work trip in Indianapolis and I was sitting there after work and going through events in Florida and it came up with the pulling for 22 that we went to in Orlando. And I just reached out to Heidi Strickland, who was Jerry's wife, and she was one of the organizers. And I said, hey, you know, this looks really interesting. What can we do to help? My husband's a veteran. We, we obviously know that there's a need for something like Mission 22, but I don't know anything about it. And so she kind of, she, she was real um, quick to say, I need four gift cards and I need this <laughs> and I need that. And I said, we're on it. We'll be there. I flew back home, I think on Friday and Saturday morning at four or five o'clock in the morning, we got up and we drove to Orlando. And again, brand new, didn't know a single soul, didn't know exactly what Mission 22 was about. But we knew that there was a need. And as Kurt said before, I I'm all about if somebody's on the side of the road, we're going to stop. It may be a serial <laughs> killer, but we're going to stop. You're taking the chance. <laughs> um, so, you know, we got down there and there were two individuals that had went through the Mission 22 programs and they gave their story. And it was absolutely touching. Um, I I will tell you, as fast as we could get in the car and get situated, I started researching Mission 22 because we all know there's some organizations, and I'm not going to call out any names whatsoever, but their funding doesn't go to what they say is going to. Uh, she won't say it, but I'll say it. Wounded Warriors, right? I mean, they're not nodding their heads. But I, I've had uh, several people uh, that have told me those stories. And organizations like Mission 22 need their name out there because of those other organizations that say they're going to do something and then they don't. 
and it ends up just being pocket our money in somebody else's pocket that doesn't need that money and is not giving out help. So that's one reason why I love you guys is because I know the money goes where it's supposed to. Well, in my research, I came across, you know, all 501c3s is public record. You can look anything up that you need to to make sure that it's a legitimate company or organization. And I looked up that 80 at that time in, in 2018, I believe it was, 84% of all funding that came in went straight into the veterans programs. And then I started realizing that we're all volunteers. Yeah. We do this because, you know. There's a need. It, there's a need. It's touched us one way or another. We want to help others. Um, so we just kind of jumped in. You know, Kurt will tell you, Jerry will tell you, anybody will, will tell you that I'm jump in first and then I'll figure everything <laughs> figure. out later. And Jerry said, hey, do you want to be the North Florida state leader? I had literally been, I think, to three or four events. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And then about a month and a half later, they called and said, hey, you want to be the South Georgia state leader, too? And I'm like, yep, let's go. Why not? So I think in 2019, we counted, we had 26 events throughout the year that Kurt and I attended um, in the state of Georgia and North Florida. That's awesome. Uh, Now, what made it to where is, I know you said that there was a need, but was there something with y'all? that made you have to be part of this organization that was there family. Was there, was there something that y'all have been through to where you knew that mission 22 and this was something that was real, that the mental health crisis with our veterans and everything was something that needed. Was there, was there a familiarity? Was there something with y'all personally? I guess what I'm asking. Uh, I had always been going back in the construction industry when I came back. I knew we had a lot of veterans that um, would have a, a limb amputated, or even if it was a finger. Some, there was a lot of amputations because of things that would happen overseas. Um, and I always thought that I could take those guys and put them to work. They can still run a computer. They, they're still completely capable of visualizing things. And, and I could make them estimators in my business and a business I worked for, anything like that in that realm. And I wanted to put guys to work. And that's kind of right before Renee found Mission 22. I was actively trying to do that. I was recruiting for five positions at a company I worked for that paid fifty dollars to $60,000 a year. Well, organizations that I contacted, I got zero phone calls back. And I wasn't able to fill any of those positions through that way. Um, so that was really something that, that kind of helped me. And the only thing that really bothers me about my time in service is being a helicopter crew chief. And I flew just about every night in, in Fallujah and Ramadi when they were blowing up in, in 2004. Um, and the worst part in my mind is bringing our guys home in body bags. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't talk about it much because it's not on my priority list. I'm glad we were able to bring those guys home. We've got veterans from Korea, World War II, and, and other wars that our country has been in that still aren't accounted for. They still haven't been brought home. Um, so if I could help in my ways of doing that, I'm glad to do that. Um, so overall, being part of Mission 22 has kind of brought that together. Got you. Uh, I just, I have the utmost respect for that. I know it's hard to talk about and the things that y'all had to see, but in my mind, opening up that 
that book, opening up that story, is somebody will will hear this and realize that the stuff that that they're normal, I guess, is they're not to normalize having a mental health problem, but to know that you're not alone. That there's it's normal to feel that way because there's other people that feel that way. I know with my anxiety and my depression, there's times that I just feel like I'm the only person in the world that thinks this way. Like I'm there's something wrong with me. And it and it's really not. Like, there's other people that are just like that. And that's one thing that I love about this organization and y'all is you help people realize that seeking help is okay. That that I should be seeking help. I have personally not went to the doctor for PTSD or traumatic brain injury. But I deal with things just, you know, I'm a full-time student now too. And a couple semesters ago, I had trouble remembering things that I learned five minutes before. I couldn't remember. My wife tells me that I sleep all night. But I wake up and five minutes after I get up, I'm completely exhausted. Same. I mean exhausted to where I'm ready to go back to sleep. Um, and a lot of that that has come up that, that I've talked to people about that have had the PTSD and, and TBI say that a lot of those items are related to having PTSD and traumatic brain injury. What is TBI? Uh, traumatic brain injury. Okay. Like I, I had no idea what so that was. Any kind of concussion or, you know, large concussions that would go off from, from bombs or, you know, anything like that. If something blew up close to them or whatnot, you know, and then things like that can get triggered. Um, I, I tell her, I, I don't remember a lot of my time being in Iraq. I don't know if my brain has suppressed those memories or something like that, but I just don't remember them. Like the, the daily routines are almost a blur. I remember a couple specific items that happened while I was there, but the rest of it is, is almost blurred together. Do you find that like a common thing between veterans? And people that I've talked to, yes. I would almost figure that it would be the complete opposite. I would figure that time stood still, that it was so slow, and that everything was just etched to where you couldn't forget it. Well, and that's different people react differently. You know, he will forget something five minutes ago, and I can remember every everything about the day five years ago. But I'll remember events that happened when I was two years old, when you really didn't have our brains, our brains are very interesting. Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand them. Uh, and and sometimes when there's a traumatic event, your your brain just kind of shuts off, and and you live in right here, right now. And that's what the military does. They train them that they can react without even thinking. I mean, you do the same exercise over and over. He's told me about touch and goes over and over and over to where, when there are bullets flying at you, you can do a touch and go. And not even T- touch and go. What can you kind of give me a little? Just like we we recently had a fuel truck that decided to roll over in front of our house. I saw. I saw. Um, so it was about three o'clock in the morning, and both of us jumped up and our feet hit the ground. Um, I looked out the window and I could see that it was already on fire. Wait, let's go back. It was three o'clock in the morning. And it sounded like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. I, I seriously thought I was back in Iraq or Afghanistan. I bet you did. I saw the flames. So you had to look out your window and think Armageddon just happened. Well, it wasn't that bad to start with. So when my feet hit the ground and I could look out the window real quick, I could see that 
it was on fire through the, the vent tube on top of the tanker and it was rolled on its side. So I hit the ground. I told her, I said, get the kids, get out of the house. That's all I said. Wait, no, go back. I was, <laughs> <laughs> this is that five minutes he doesn't remember. <laughs> he screamed, call 911 as he kicks over the bucket of Legos that are on the floor. <laughs> Insult to injury. Oh, my bad. gosh. I ended up on my butt, I believe. Um, so I hit I hit the first floor, grabbed the fire extinguisher, and I'm running out the door. Now, mind you, I got a pair of... Uh, 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 <laughs> tights like the like the under compression under pants compression, pants. <laughs> compression <laughs> pants those in a t-shirt that's it and you was picking <laughs> on my picture earlier so i'm out the door and i got a fire extinguisher in my hand and i make it about halfway to the truck because when did you realize the fire extinguisher wasn't big enough well that wasn't it i, wonder <laughs> I, I already knew it wasn't big enough <laughs> you know being in helicopters i know what a, a fuel yeah. spill will do and catch on fire but my goal was to get the driver out of the truck if he was in the truck. And I made it about halfway there, and I thought our neighbor was in her front yard screaming. Now, mind you, we had already lived there for nine months and hadn't met her yet. But I made it about halfway to the truck, and I could hear somebody screaming in her yard. So I went that way and come to find out it was the driver. No shirt, no shoes, just wearing a pair of pants, and that's it. And he was in shock, screaming already. So I got to him got him behind our house just to be protected from the truck in case it did blow up. Um, and in this time she can take over cause she had a whole pile of stuff going in the house. <laughs> so back up his, his, that's his side. He, he got out, he got the driver. They went behind the house. My side is call 911 as I am already in the hallway with our 12 year old that has special needs and she is having a meltdown because it's three o'clock in the morning. She heard a loud bang. Our whole house shook and she has no idea what's going on. And I have her wrapped around my legs trying to get to my phone that's on the windowsill as I'm stepping on Legos going, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I get on the phone. I swear if we could get this 911 call, everybody would be like, probably laughing hysterically i call and i don't know if it's because claxton is so little that they don't have crazy things like this or if the lady was halfway asleep i said there's a fuel truck in front of our house and it's on fire and she said a what and i said a fuel truck and she said what's that i said it has liquid in it and it is burning and so then she said, was anybody injured? And I said, I have no idea. I'm upstairs still. And as I'm trying to grab kids, all I hear is Kurt open the front door and scream, get everybody out right now. So I have one kid in the left arm, one kid in the right arm. And now my 14 year old has joined in and she has both of her hands on my back. <laughs> I'm holding the phone with my shoulder and jumping every other stair as I get downstairs. Well, the, the 911 dispatcher was so calm, and she's like, I need you to find your husband to find if anybody is injured. I'm trying to get out the back door. Well, I'm the idiot, and I locked the back door instead of just leave it alone because it was obviously unlocked. And I'm like, I can't get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, is your house on fire? And I'm like, no, our house isn't on fire. Well, why can't you get out? I don't know. And then I, I realized... Oh, because it's locked. And I said to her, well, because I'm the idiot that just locked it. 
I get out to the back and she keeps on, I need you to find your husband. I need you to find your husband. I need to know if somebody is injured. And I finally said, listen, lady, you're going to have to either send a coroner or an ambulance because nobody's going to walk from that without any scraps or scratches on them. So we get to the... Sure enough, the driver didn't have a scratch on Yeah. Really? Yeah, amazingly. Jesus had the wheel with him. He, he had a... He dove out of the truck. His shoes at 6 o'clock in the afternoon... Now, this started at 3 o'clock in the morning. His shoes at 6 o'clock in the afternoon were still in the middle of the road. Really? And the truck was gone. So what? when it hit the roll, he it dove rolled, out the window? It rolled on its side. He dove out the window. The radio played for 14 hours straight. I don't That's know about 14, but well, it, it, played it played all day. the entire day. time the truck burned. Oh, my gosh. 9,000 9, gallons of fuel. My favorite part about that story, though, is besides for your complete meltdown <laughs> and your ordeal, was your first thought was to go to the driver in the vehicle, where a lot of us would have been like, all right, I'm protecting my, my family. I'm grabbing them. You know she had them, of course. But I don't know if I'm running into that. I don't know if I see a fuel truck on fire, knowing that it's like going to explode. Said, it was nowhere near the, the pictures you saw. Yeah. At that point, it was only a little bit coming out the top vent. So it wasn't Yeah, but I know fuel go fast. Fuel, yes. fuel go boom. So yes. my, my brain is going to, you're wired different than I would be. And that's probably the military, the, the you know, the courage side of you that I lack. Uh, but you knew to run. Like, you knew to run into like a dangerous situation and you probably didn't think twice about it but it's, you've got to look at it in, in a different world you're absolutely right you know we get wired differently than everybody else you know we go through the training just to become a helicopter crew chief you learn how to sit in a helicopter get dunked in the water and flipped upside down with a blindfold and have to get out do what <laughs> it's just a blindfolded upside down dunked in the water yep. because when a helicopter lands in the water the weight is all on the top with the transmission it's going to shift. Head. It rolls 180 degrees. So you learn how to sit there and wait until all the violent motion has stopped and then egress the aircraft. Well, it's normally dark in the bottom of the ocean or anywhere that you're at in the bottom of a river, wherever that may happen. So you, you train blindfolded to get out and you learn how to reach and grab and get out of the aircraft. I never... Never had any idea about that. Every air crew in the military just about um, trains in a helo dunker in the, the mil that flies in a helicopter. They usually train in a helo dunker. Did y'all have any other training that's similar those along those lines? Because I, I I would think a lot of folks didn't know know that. I don't think that's common knowledge. That and the air crews typically go through a school called Seer School. Oh, Seer School. Oh, here here comes the rabbit story. The rabbit story. Which is uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Okay. So basically, if you essentially get put into a POW situation. And in that, you learn how to evade and live off the land. Well, our school was in Maine in April. So there was still four feet of snow on the ground. And there was no twigs and berries. There, you know, you were eating little little twigs that had seeds off the trees and stuff like that. Well, they also teach you how to get wildlife. There was no wildlife in Maine at that time of the year. Some snow owls, maybe, so probably. We, uh, so we were brought some rabbits. 
Have you ever killed a rabbit with your bare hands? Uh, no, I have not had the pleasure. <laughs> you don't want to. So there's they the squeal, thing. right? There's the thing called a called a karate chop. So you put its back legs in your hands and you karate chop its right, neck. Wait, disclaimer: kids don't do this at home. Yeah, don't do karate do chop your rabbit to death. I have never heard a rabbit squeal so loud in my life. That's what I've, I've always heard that a rabbit squealing is one if of the worst noises if ever. If you don't break its neck, it squeals like there is no tomorrow, and you got to keep hitting it till it squeals, till it stops squealing. And that is the worst. That that's probably one of the most traumatic things I've ever heard in my life. Just piercing my ears because it's not dead standing in my hands. Now, how long does uh, this seer school? How long does that simulation or that whatever uh, you're doing? A, I think it was a 21 day school at the time. Because um, you've got classroom instruction, then you've got. Uh, how long are you out training. in the wilderness? Um, and I want to say the field op was uh, somewhere between about seven days. Six seven, seven days. Defend yeah. just for yourself. Uh, did they put like you couldn't go past a certain point that you had to stay in this designated area? I, I don't know how they design it all. Okay. You get caught. You get caught. <laughs> Everybody gets caught. There's some way, shape, or form you're getting caught. But there's no way to not get caught, I guess. is that That's what it's set up for. The whole school is to teach you what okay. happens when you do get caught. So, yes, you do get caught at some point. Um, some quicker than others, some longer than you How know. long did you last? I couldn't even remember. To be honest with you, I don't remember. Oh, my gosh. I'm, every time I think, you know what I should have done? I should have joined the military. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> every time I'm like thinking to myself, you know what? I wish I'd have been a Marine. The, the military has these cool things called three-part sleeping bags. You know, three-part sleeping bags. You've got your summer summer part, you yeah. got your winter part, and then you've got a Gore-Tex cover that goes over it. So you essentially sleep in a cocoon, and you close it up, and you don't see anything. It's covered your whole face, everything. When you go to sleep on top of the snow, and you wake up, and there's that much ice on top of it from the heat that came out of your body and just the moisture, it's cold. Ah, uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> But you wake up and you're 100 degrees because you've been in this sleeping bag all night. I, I had no idea. I thought Paris Island was the hard part. No, the sand fleas. <laughs> That's still number one. Uh, every time I have been to Savannah, I have not had to deal with the sand gnats or fleas, whatever they're called, anywhere else. I can only imagine how bad that y'all had to deal with them. Like, it, they're the worst things ever. Every day for three months. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. When um when you were you did you do one tour is that what you said I did one tour in Iraq and then came back and construction had downturned in 2011 and the State Department actually bought 20 of the helicopters that I flew on in the Marine Corps so I went back and worked for them uh, through a, a civilian contract uh, for li just under two years. Cool. Uh, any life changing experiences over there? For, Renee, for, for for bad or good, for bad or good. For Renee, she she feels that she got PTSD while I was there because our base got attacked while I was on the phone with her, while I was a civilian. While you were on the phone? Yeah, because we had... Uh, you were a contractor wireless. at that point? We had wireless internet on our on our base, so I basically had FaceTime, and I was talking to her at 5 o'clock in the morning. Hard time over there, which was, I think it was midnight or something. It's somewhere it in there. It was eight and a half hour difference. Yeah. So. Afghanistan is eight and a half hour difference from... Um, the eastern time zone. So from the time, because don't once that base is attacked, everything isn't all shut, communications and everything, everything shut, shut down? Everything How long did it take down, before so. you heard back from her? She watched everything happen on BBC. Ah, uh, 
Yeah. When you when you say it was attack, like like full on missiles dropping, kind of gives like a little uh, image that they go with it. Our whole base got uh, attacked by I think it was four or five insurgents from about a mile and a half away, and they managed to hit just about every aircraft we had with shrapnel in one they one shape or form. So you're sitting there watching this. Well, we were on FaceTime and I started hearing a couple booms and then all of a sudden I gotta go click. And so of course, you know, I'm all nosy. I wanna know what's going on, make sure you're he's alright. And so I turned on BBC. Oh, they were super nice to show you everything. And they started showing like the building that the insurgents were in and they would zoom away and then you know, they give you information that's not not true. And they, they said, you know, I think it, they said two contractors had been killed. And of course, you know, I'm having a meltdown because I have five kids at home, one that's not even a year old and not knowing what was going on. It was 24 hours later when he finally got to call me. And I mean, it was like I just sat there and just sobbed. What? OK, whenever whenever he called. Was it where you had a cell phone where his name popped up on your cell phone, or was it something else? Like, I, I, oh, no, I, it, was, it was through FaceTime okay. or through my email address. You know, it would go through and I'd call her. That would have been the scariest phone call ever to pick up. Well, I, I, I just don't know. I, it would have been so in my mind. I know you're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that this phone is ringing. But at the same time, like, what's on the other end of it? Well, there's, you know, there's a difference when you're active duty in the military, you have other spouses to support you and to be there for you. When he went as a contractor, we had nobody. I had no one. You know, I would try and reach out to people from, like, one of our former churches. No one stopped by. No one came over. That 24 hours was the absolute worst time ever. It was June 12, 2012. I, I know I didn't sleep for 24 hours. I mean, you know not knowing what was going on, and then the TV was giving misleading information. Well, when you say it was given misleading information, like, because I'm all about fake news, <laughs> what what were they putting out there? Well, they were saying that two contractors had been killed, but that wasn't the case. they had no case. idea yeah. if anybody had anybody. or not. No. The, luckily, the guys that I worked with, they were all high-speed, low-drag guys, you know, the special operations, you know, 160th guys and, and guys that were Marines and things like that, that they knew what to do. We all knew what to do. And, and it didn't take a matter of seconds. I mean, we walked out of our rooms wearing flip-flops and Kevlars, you know, so <laughs> we weren't worried about what we were wearing as long as we had the protection. Um, and, and it took forever, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, everybody did their job. They knew what to do, you know, um, because even all our guys weren't armed. We had guys that worked for us that were administrative guys or worked in the chow hall. They weren't armed, but the air crews and stuff that left the base every day, you know, we had clearance to be armed and whatnot. So in my in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, don't even know if y'all seen the movie. Was it the 13th hour uh, to where this attack on Benghazi? Watch parts of it. Okay. Uh, it's probably hard. I've always heard from people that's in the military. It's hard to watch stuff like that anyway. Uh but is that kind of what it was like whenever you're in that situation as a contractor? Are you there to protect your administrators? I, I don't understand why in some of those situations it's not active military and why there is contractors. It's kind of self-preservation. And to be honest, because some of the jobs that we have civilian contractors doing 
takes up our, our military's been depleted. Yeah. You Which know? is a joke too. And, and that's the biggest thing, you know, there's civilian companies that fly over there just to move troops back and forth unarmed. I, I just do not understand when we have the, what's supposed to be the most powerful, you know, military in the world, why that's ever even an issue. Afghanistan is huge. Um, you know, you, you go back and you look and at the era of Genghis Khan. He couldn't even take Afghanistan. And he conquered you know, the world. He, he conquered the Closest world. person yeah. ever to conquering the whole world. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and even the Russians tried to take Afghanistan. So their tanks are still sitting over there because it's all, everything's in the mountains. You know, and, and unless you live in those mountains, you don't know what's there. That's, I just, I can't imagine. And being over there, so with you being a contractor at this point, is it where when it was attacked that you're having to pretty much uh, a firefight right alongside of active duty? Is that how it, I, I'm just trying to get a picture in my head. Our, our base was completely civilian. Okay. We were separated from the military. So even if stuff would have went more sideways than it went, would the active military that was presence that was close to y'all would they have been able because your contractors to come defend or would you been left on your own i don't know that's a joke that's a joke that's why like uh that's a joke there's anyway that is kind of what made me decide to stop contracting. oh yeah (laughs) absolutely if you're over there and uh you're helping and you're doing what you're supposed to for our country and our military is right up the road and you're attacked I just don't understand why that's even, I don't even, the whole story, even like with Benghazi, all the stuff behind it, I get so pissed every time I hear stuff about it and everything to where our government left our our, our, our countrymen to fend for themselves. It's, it's a joke. I have the utmost respect for you even going back as a contractor in the first place. I mean, I look at it a little different. You know, the CIA guys that, that go and, they, they go to the clandestine countries and whatnot. You know, they know exactly what they're getting into from day one. But when you've got a huge presence like you do yeah. versus one person or, or two people, it's a different world. You know, you're, you're a target. That's all you are. You're, you're right around. you got a target on you. And that's what I'm guessing you're saying, like, what y'all were. Is right. It, not having that presence, you become the, the weak one, I guess, is to the insurgents or whatever. Right. To where they're like, okay, we can go get them. We can't get this other group. I, I just, man, I, that's tough. Um, whew, no wonder you came back and wanted to help. Uh, you, you've probably seen stuff that I could never imagine in most of the folks. Um, I really thank y'all for sharing with us, by the way. And we had a surprise for y'all today. Uh, we wanted to wait until we got to the end. But uh, we're going to have, as y'all know, we do our concerts and everything. We want to do one just for Mission 22 next year. Proceeds go to all y'all. We take our little bit off our top to pay the bands and everything, but it's a whole event for y'all. Uh, I get to pick the music though, you know. I get to I get to have fun with it, um, and so does everybody else. But uh, we love everything y'all stand for, everything you do, and uh, I hope that our business here at Raising Grace Studios and uh, anybody that are listening, if by the way, if they want to contact y'all to help set up some stuff to be part of it, how can they go about doing that? So they can either email me at Renee McDonald at mission22.com or they can just sign up at at mission22.com. They can fill out an information form or they can follow our Jeeps page. You know, by the way, if y'all haven't seen their Jeep, 
go look at their Jeeps page. I'm going to try to add it to some videos anyway. But y'all's Jeep is, uh, I know why you want to go ride all the time. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely been the staple of our events. You know, it brings people in to talk to us. And we've been trying to kind of at each event do something more to it. Um, we've had great luck this year. Um, some of the sponsors have come through to help us with that, to, to continue with Mission 22 and get the word out there. Um, That's got, pretty much every weekend for y'all, right? Yeah, we've got uh, DS18, one of the speaker companies, has helped us with the speakers and all that we got in there to where if there's no radio or something in an event we got, we just open the doors of the Jeep and turn it on. Um, we've got some lights coming next week from Quake LED, so it's going to be all lit up at night with That's our, cool. different color lights. We can change the colors on them and everything. Um, it'll be I all love when y'all run the big flagpole in the back. That started out in the yard. That was the yard flag. <laughs> <laughs> it was too small. So we kind of repurposed it and put it on the Jeep and made it work. Um, but, yeah, the, the Jeep's pretty special to us because it is an icebreaker to conversations. You know, we've had people walk by our tent ten times and, and not even stop to read what is on the edge, you know, United in the War Against Veteran Suicide. But as soon as they see the Jeep, they kind of pause for a minute and say, well, wait. What is this? Because, you know, it, it stands out. Oh, absolutely. It caught my attention. And then just talking to y'all, I was I was hooked. I'm glad I saw the Jeep when I did. You know, Jeeps are the, the number one vehicle that it has the most aftermarket parts in the world made for it. Yeah, I've had so, one before. I, uh, there's I, I've got one now that's sitting in my yard because I keep wanting to do stuff to it, and I don't want to drive it. There's so much you can do to it. It's almost limitless. Um and that's really what brings it, allows us to, to do different things. You know, different, like I said, different companies have helped us out to put different items on it to where if somebody comes up and talks to us, you know, like, oh, hey, where'd you get those? Where'd you get this? You know, what are you doing with your Jeep? What's your theme? Um, I've been working for the last four or five months with two companies about uh, changing the axles out and putting one ton axles under it so that we can do a little bit more off roading and things like that. Um, Y'all so. smarter than us country boys. <laughs> we just uh, we say the heck with it and just take what we got, and we're gonna play until it breaks. But um, but no, thank y'all so much for coming. Thank y'all for what y'all do. Uh, we look forward to hopefully doing a lot of stuff with y'all in the future. And what is this right here? So those are some videos. Uh, one of the members that one of the service members that Kurt served with, Ramon. A buddy of mine posts some videos every once in a while. He's still over there. Oh, he's serving now. He's still over there as a contractor doing the uh, job that I did. Oh my gosh, that's cool. He's y'all. I mean, y'all can't see it, but he's uh he's got the the bay door open. Is that what it is on the whatever they're called? He's got. I can't tell what it is. It's a helicopter, and he's shooting a big gun out of yeah. it. I just don't know the, the technical the technical term for it. But uh, oh my gosh. I just don't know how. I'm scared of heights. And I'm getting nervous looking at this. I can only imagine having that door open. Helicopter is the best thing. You can pick up. You can land anywhere. Oh, my gosh. We should, can we share this guy's info? Yeah. Is he, is, uh, is, is, they, can, they can follow his YouTube channel. It's uh, Spokes and Rotors. Spokes and Rotors. Y'all want to see some cool stuff. I mean, it's flight from Cabal. Uh, man, and he's showing the uh, the terrain and everything. Yeah, they even ran across some wild horses. This is this is really cool. Y'all go check it out. It's spokes and rotors. Um, but y'all, uh, I couldn't have picked better folks to do second show with. 
anything we can do for y'all at Mission 22, um, y'all please let us know. Y'all come back anytime, uh, any event, whatever y'all need to do. Um, y'all got anything else special before we get out of here? So we have uh, John's Mission for 22, October the 10th, down in Ray City, Georgia. It's at Possum Creek Off-Road Park. That is one of the events that we go to uh, to remember one of the service members that we've lost. And then November 21st, we have the South Georgia Jeep Jam, where they are highlighting... Catfish Festival. Yes, and they are highlighting veteran suicide at the event for us, which is absolutely fantastic. So we will be there. Um, If you're around, if you want to, come out, stop by the tent. Talk to us. You know, we can't help someone if they don't know who we are or what we do. And don't be scared to go up and talk. Like that's, that, I know with a lot of people that if you think you're going to get judged, these are not the people that are going to judge you. They are going to help you. They they are going to befriend you. They ran into this big, ugly, bearded fella right here. And I'm telling you, they've treated me like family the past year. And I don't get to bump into them as much as I want to. But when I do, I see the people they talk to. There's never a stranger. I think I'm talking to you anyway, Renee. Uh, <laughs> she'll talk your head off. Kurt don't talk so much. Uh, but when he does, he says really good stuff and really helpful stuff. So the uh, just like you said, you know, even at one of the concerts last year, we had a young lady. She said, "You know, I, I walked past y'all seven or eight times already. What do you do?" And then when I explained it to her, come to find out, she had actually lost her brother to suicide. Really. So a lot of people, again, don't realize that you know, it does affect everybody in some way, shape, or form. Mm. Well, y'all just keep fighting a good fight, and I hope uh, I just hope that people get touched by y'all. And all of Mission 22 is, is one of those organizations that no matter what, I'm always going to put like my name behind um, anything I could ever do. But thank y'all. Uh, we're going to go ahead and shut this one down. It was really good, really informative. Anything else? No, we just want to thank you for having us on. We appreciate it. Uh, anytime. Y'all, this door is welcome to y'all. Anytime. It's always open. Uh, well, folks, thank y'all for tuning in to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey, the Josh Terry Podcast. Brought to you by Raising Grace Studios. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>